I'm Mike. I'm Grant. It's August, and we're pretty confident that's a good time to start a new podcast. Yep, we're going to throw open the doors on a new podcast about those little things at the center of every story. Things no story would do without. Shipped straight to you at no additional charge. Gears are spinning and valves are opening. Because this is the MacGuffin Factory. Welcome to the MacGuffin Factory, guys. This is a podcast long in the making. Grant, you and I... Too long. Yeah, we we sat down and thought this was a great idea a long time ago. Oh, I know. And it's mostly my fault that it hasn't happened yet. But, hey, it's here now, and I'm excited. No, I'm I'm super excited about this. I, I love the idea of being able to put together stuff, because we do a lot of stuff that talks about role-playing games. Uh, you guys do, over at Saving the Game, do an entire podcast about role-playing games, but... I don't get to spend a lot of time in these worlds because most of what our podcast, Game Store Profits, is about is about board games. So I'm yeah. super excited to be able to spend some time talking about role-playing games because I've been playing these things for a long time, and I don't get to talk about them nearly as often as I'd like to. Sure. And really, this podcast, and we should probably stop teasing, you know, hey, what is this podcast actually about? The goal of the MacGuffin Factory is not just for role-playing games, although, you know, Saving the Game, my own podcast, which is syndicated through Inroads Ministries, I might add. Yes, it is. You know, the goal of our podcast is role-playing games, but the MacGuffin Factory is all about storytelling. Mm -hmm. Specifically, trying to come up with a general concept for a MacGuffin, the kind of the, the element of a story, a thing in the story that a story revolves around. The classic example, of course, is the Maltese Falcon. Everything in the story revolves around people wanting the Maltese Falcon. All the drama hinges on the Maltese Falcon, but the properties of the Maltese Falcon itself kind of don't matter that much. Like, they shape the story a little bit, but it could be a pack of cigarettes, and you'd have a somewhat similar drama if you wanted it to play out that way. That is an important distinction, because one could argue that, say, in Lord of the Rings, the One Ring could be considered a MacGuffin, but we're looking for stuff that... In and of itself, like the ring can practically be a character unto itself. It has so much influence sure. on the story. So th where this is just stuff that other things are reacting to. Right. And, you know, we're going to talk about, as the show progresses and as we do different episodes, we're going to talk about MacGuffins with more or less character in and of themselves. Some, we may have a wide variety of different things in the same general category. That's kind of what we're going to do tonight. Others, we may kind of clearly define one specific MacGuffin and talk about all the different stories that can happen around that one specific thing. So we'll kind of see how it goes. We're going to play this by ear. It's a mic podcast. That's how these things go. <laughs> can we coin that term? Is that something that we can make? This is a, yes, this is a mic podcast. It's a mic podcast. Uh, and nobody will confuse that in any way with the mics in front of our face. Yeah. I am not at all. I infect people with chaos, apparently. Exactly. All right, so real quick, before we really get into the meat of this, I do want to provide our listeners with a little bit of advice. Mm -hmm. This podcast is all about generating ideas, right? Specifically, I want you, the listener, to come up with cool ideas while listening to this podcast. When you hear something that gets you thinking, stop what you're doing safely if you're driving or something like that, but stop what you're doing, pause the recording, Follow that train of thought. Don't just kind of keep listening to us, hoping you're going to remember what you thought about this one cool time when you listened to this episode. No. Stop. Write it down. Record it into your phone. Send yourself an email. I do that all the time. 
We are here to help inspire you. Don't let that moment pass. Yeah, Grant, I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of guy who needs a notebook within arm's reach of his bed because I always want to have something to write it down because I've lost track of the number of times I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning with this fantastic idea or I'll be sitting at my my desk at my day job just oh this is amazing this is wonderful i need to get home and write this now and by the time i get to my desk it's gone yep absolutely we- I, again sending yourself an email quick easy hack for getting ideas to yourself for when you can deal with them you will not be anyway. hurting our feelings if you step away yeah that's the whole point if you step away and you write a story or a role-playing game scenario or a you know a TV series or a movie. Haha. We're having, you know, high hopes for ourselves here. (laughs) Um, If you, if that comes to you and you never come back to this podcast, we've done our job. Right. All right. That's too much of that, but you know, that's fine. We're this episode. Yeah. You know, it might be a little longer than we're aiming for normally, but eh, whatever. See, see, that's the thing, Grant. This is an episode about openings, which is actually what we kind of use as our guidelines for determining what the first MacGuffin would be. Because we we had a list. We generated this giant list of potential MacGuffins, and we're probably going to go back to them, probably going to change some, and probably add some that we've never even thought of yet. But Look in the episode comments for others. Wink, yeah, wink, nudge, nudge. wink, wink, haha. But uh, what we figured out, we're like, all right, let's do, this is a first. What can we do that's a first? What... How about stuff that's opening? Because we're opening the podcast. All right. What opens things? Doors? No, doors are boring. How about... Doors are done. How about keys? Specifically, skeleton keys or mysterious keys. The kind of things that you need to be able to enter into that adventure. It starts with that moment where you hear that satisfying click in the door. Exactly. So real quick, we're mostly talking about skeleton keys here. Maybe not always. I mean, we're going to branch out from that, but mostly skeleton keys. Um, a skeleton key, in case you're a, a foreign listener or English isn't your first language, you're not sure what that term is. It's a master key designed to open a multitude of locks, kind of of the same variety. Uh, it's called a skeleton key because it's been reduced down to its essentials. So with that said... Here's my first idea for a skeleton key, right? Uh, and this is very basic. I'm a big Ag- Agatha Christie fan, right? Your average lever lock skeleton key that's so stereotypical in your locked room murder mystery, right? What if it's not found, you know, hidden somewhere? What if the victim has it inside the locked room? And now, and I want to add here, the murderer put it there doesn't count, right? We got to be more creative. The victim got into the room and got murdered. What happened there? The thing that instantly comes to my mind when you said that is it's that mystery of of somebody getting hit by that massive snowball. But when by the time you find them, there's just this dead body sitting on the ground in a pool of water. Mm-hmm. And you're left wondering what the heck happened here. It's that that question yeah. of what got to this point. Yeah, well, that's the the essence of any locked room murder mystery. How did we get to this state? If we can answer that question, we're halfway, maybe two-thirds of the way, to solving the murder, right? And so, if you've got a skeleton key inside, okay, cool. How did the skeleton key get inside? Probably the victim. What did the victim do in, in here, and how did the murderer get out, right? You're, you're, All right. you're also left with the question of, 
is there another key to this room? Sure. And if that's... All sorts of fun ideas. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. You had another one. I have one that, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's definitely something that has been brought up in, like, reading a lot and a lot and a lot of fantasy novels. But it, it really isn't locked into that. It can be a modern story or a, or a science fiction story as well. But my, in my mind, I have this idea of several keys, basically to old school storytelling numerology. Seven just seems like a solid number to me. A classic storytelling number. Threes and sevens. Those are your glue for any story. So I had this idea about seven keys. And they're the kind of things that have been known and told about around campfires for generations. They are virtually lost in the fact that no one knows exactly where they are. But they were told to have been given to seven individuals of great power who have them throughout the known world. Now, if you bring them all together... They are supposed to unlock something. However, the stories differ depending on who's telling it. One set of stories will tell you that when all seven come together, they will bring about a golden age. They will open up the doors to a bright and wonderful future. Another set of stories say that when the seven keys come together, it will bring about the end of the world. It's a classic. So I I just love the idea of that question. Where in the back of your head, the whole time you're going through this adventure, whatever it might look like, you're always asking yourself, are we racing towards glory and and wonder, or are we racing towards our own death? I love that kind of stuff. Oh, it, it's fun. It, it, you have this MacGuffin that you're chasing after and other people are chasing after, but you're not quite sure if you really want to be chasing it or if you should maybe keep them hidden you can all, you, there's a lot of story that gets wrapped up in that decision that kind of grows as you get closer and closer and closer to collecting the seven parts and putting them together and doing the thing. And at some point you're brought to a moment of, you know, maybe, maybe you find all seven. Maybe you have them in your collection or whoever your character is or your party is. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you do with them? Yep, it all comes to a head. It's perfect. All right, on the same line, having multiple keys, instead of a single skeleton key, let's think about a key ring, right? Because everybody's kind of familiar with the the key ring that's just full of keys. We've all seen it on, you know, like the the maintenance guy. The janitor keychain. The janitor keychain. It can open anything. Leading to that moment of you're finding one key, it doesn't work. Two keys, it doesn't work. The the enemy's coming down. Oh, yeah, that that frantic, okay, I got it. Is this it? Is this? Is this? No, no. Ah, ah, ah. And then, of course, right at the last moment, aha! So what if there is a key ring that always holds the right key for the door you're trying to open? It's never the first key you try. It's never the first key you try, right? But it also never takes too long. To find that key? I, you know, I almost have this, this vision of it actually being that key ring from every movie ever. Oh, it would have to be. That, yeah. that key ring that will always, you know, if you just keep trying, by the time the guy gets within arm's reach, you're gonna unlock it. <laughs> because that's exactly. just how it works. Yeah, it's a dramatic key ring. <laughs> In fact, that's actually the name of it. Yeah, the, yeah perfect. The there dramatic you go. key ring. Done. Uh, book it done send it off to the factory floor we're making that that's happening yeah you could have a variation on this too and i'm actually more fond of this what if you take a key off that key ring does it open just the one door it's actually meant for does it open 
a multitude of doors, but never the ones you think it's going to open most of the time. How does that work? And see, that could be that could be interesting because if it's tied to a, a, the similar story from before, you have that moment of I take this key. Now, is it the key that has that that kind of power to it, or is it the fact that the key was placed on the ring? Mm-hmm. And you can even ask if I put a different key on the ring, will that somehow give it that right. power? Does it go into the inventory? You know, of this key ring. What happens if I take all the keys off this key ring, right? Cut the key, the key ring itself and put all of these same keys on a different key ring. Does it work the same? It's sort of the, um, you know, the problem of if you keep replacing all the parts of a magic item, at what point is the magic item gone? What What is the straw that destroys the magic? Right. Or is it some conceptual thing? Terry Pratchett, the late great Sir Terry Pratchett, had this in one of his stories where, you know, there's a an axe that a dwarf is kind of talking about. And it's like, this is my grandfather's axe. Yeah, okay. The handle's been replaced, and the head's been replaced, and the binding's been replaced. All of the pieces have been replaced, but it is still my grandfather's axe. Right. Right? It's a fun concept. All right, you had another one. I do. Now, this one, again, kind of taking what I've seen in the past and kind of making a new twist on it. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a Miyazaki fan. As is every right-thinking American. <laughs> I I have a, a, a special affinity for Howl's Moving Castle. It's probably... As is every right-thinking person in the indeed. world. Indeed. And the thing that I always loved about Howl, Howl's Moving Castle was the, the fact that he could open up a door and walk into the castle. Now, these doors were sprinkled throughout forever. And when he actually opened the door from the inside, he could change where he he walked out of. So I like right. the idea of not having the door be the magic or the house be the magic, but the key used to open the door be the magic that gets you there. I had the idea for a key that no matter what door you find, as long as that key fit within that door, and you turn it. Which is trickier than you think, because there's a lot of different types of keys out there. Oh, there really is. Traditionally, just, just the, I don't know, the, the storyteller that lives in my head, uh, the image that, that, that is there is that old school, like, like, to the actual skeleton key, the one with the big, you know. The old lever lock key. Oh, yeah. That, and so I have this image of you putting it in there and turning it. And if you turn it to the left, You'll get one reaction. You'll take yourself to one special place. If you turn it to the right, you take another special place. There's all sorts of different yeah. combinations. Or it just opens the door normally. Yeah, or yeah, or it opens the door normally. But it all depends on how you use the key within a door. And there's a lot of room for variation on this idea, too. Because maybe the key takes you to whatever place you want. Right. Maybe it takes you to one specific place. That key always goes to one place. Right. Who knows? Maybe, if you like this sort of thing, it goes somewhere random. Maybe somewhere random in the same building. To borrow from uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide. In that case, you'd push the button, but in this case, you turn that key and you go, all right, whatever's going to happen, we're going to go through this door. Yeah, the uh, infinite improbability drive. Right, it's the great escape mechanism. Everything's screwed up. We just need to, I don't care where we go, but it can't be here. Right, and it always seems to take you someplace interesting slash where you should be 
you know, something like that. To borrow from another page of nerdiness, it's pretty much like the TARDIS. It won't take you necessarily where you wanted to go, but it'll take you where you need to go. There you go. Or, if you want to take a different take on that one, someplace you really shouldn't be. Right. All the time. <laughs> yeah. All right, Grant, what's, what's your next one? Yeah, so, real simple idea, right? Key gets delivered to the protagonist in a package. And it's got a mysterious letter along with it. Perhaps it's from a long-dead relative. Perhaps it comes to you out of the blue. Perhaps it's got some other explanation of why this comes to you. But the key is delivered with a letter explaining that it will open any lock it can fit into, right? It's a skeleton key. Great. But it's not designed to fit into any sort of lock you have ever seen before in your life. You're not even sure it's a key. What is this thing? Who else wants it? Why was it sent to you? And what does it open? So the key becomes the MacGuffin in your story because you need to... Really, the, the key is not the MacGuffin, but what it fits into is the MacGuffin. Because everyone that is involved with your story is trying to discover what this thing is. Right. And that's going to be a common thread with any sort of mystery slash hidden treasure kind of thing, right? Multiple people going after it. This is a great excuse to have that, because clearly this thing is important, but it's also not sufficient for everybody to win. you got to figure out what it goes to, right? Key has a lock that it fits. Where's that lock? And for the next couple of these, you're going to hear that, because it's a, it, you're right, it is a theme that, that comes along with any kind of item like this that has that mystery attached to it. Uh, for instance, my next one. I have this image of a bar. And you're sitting in the bar, and you're drinking, and there's this old guy at the bar. And he's just staring at this key. Now, it can be any kind of key. It could be the old skeleton key. It could be, a, you know, if you're dealing with, like, a cyberpunk, it could be, like, a key code. It could be whatever. And he refuses to talk about what the key is. But he's so drunk that he just keeps saying to himself over and over again, or to you, or to anyone who will listen, I've done it. This will set me up for life. And then suddenly, whether it's natural causes or somebody, some kind of foul play, the man dies right there in the bar, still clutching the key. Now, most people disregard him, but for some reason, you're drawn to that key. You don't know anything about what it is. You don't know what right. it opens, but you know if you can... Or he gives it to you right before he dies. Again, the classic, uh, I'm involved... Now what? Yeah, it's that it's that idea that I'm in this, I have no idea where I'm going, I have no idea what I'm doing, but if I find it, it's going to change my life. Yeah. And what you said about uh, electronic key cards, that's actually a really good one, and I'm going to make this very general and very quick. Electronic passcodes are perfectly good skeleton keys. You know they open something, maybe multiple things. Um, if anybody who's worked in an IT environment knows that network administrators have passwords that give them full access to a lot of things, right? Similar kind of thing. You get a, let's say you find a password. Well, what's the system? Do, does it give me sufficient rights to something? If it's an electronic passcode for like a keypad, well, where's the keypad? And why is it important? Well, and you can even, with that, with that you can even add to the fact that maybe you only have part of the code. Sure. Whenever there's anything that's entered in, Maybe a person has, especially if you're dealing with cyberpunk kind of stuff, you can do like, I hacked six out of seven digits. I don't know what the last oh. one is. 
Oh, now we're getting movie sci-fi here. Okay. Oh, absolutely. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Or, you know, it could just be a two-factor thing where I've got a code, but I need some other item to also authenticate myself with it. Well, that that's the old uh, things about you know setting off nuclear warheads. You have the two guys with the keys. They both have to be present at the same time. Uh, even some of the more futuristic ones say that those keys have to be turned by those people. They're somehow coded to those people. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the old classic, okay, um, I need to get this guy I just killed. I need to get his hand to the finger, the handprint scanner quickly. How am I going to move him? Right. You know, fun stuff like that. All right, you've got another one. I do. Uh, kind of building off of the other one. It is another key. It's another mystery. But I, I like this idea of a key that's been passed down from generation to generation. Like that mm. heirloom. That thing that, that your grandfather gave it to your father and his grandfather before him and so on and so on and so on and so forth. However, though the key has had this long and storied past, it has this legend that goes along with it, no one remembers what the legend is. Because it has passed from, from father to son to father to son to father to son, at some point in the chain, somebody might have changed the story. Somebody might have forgotten the story. Somebody might have just not cared about the story. Die before they could pass it on. Any number of options. But it doesn't make it all the way down. There's always the telephone problem. Right. Right. It's just distorted by the time it reaches you. And I love the I love that idea of by the time it has reached character A, no one knows what it is. And you can even add a level to this because maybe somebody else does. Because there's always that aspect of somewhere out there, a person has been looking for this key. They've been hunting it down, but, you know, great, 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 great granddad stole it from them. Either for good purposes or ill purposes, it doesn't matter. It was stolen right. by great, 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 great granddad. Or entrusted to them or any number. Of Lots of different options there. And then it has made its way and each person that's received it has been told it has to be kept safe. It has to be kept in the family. But the story of why didn't make it. I like it. All right, Grant. It's, it's a classic, but it's a classic for a reason. Absolutely. Grant, what's your next one? Okay, so... Let's get away from doors for a minute. Well, okay, not entirely. We're going to do a slightly different variation on this. We've been talking about doors most of the time, but what if they've got a skeleton key for cars? Okay. The idea that I could just take any car immediately and not worry about hot wiring it, not worry about, you know, getting into it if i can you know if i none of this break a window or jimmy the lock stuff no i've got a key in my pocket that gets me into the car turns it on and i can just go i like it it's immediately got some interesting ideas building for it right you you have kind of a somewhat mystical or cyberpunky fast and the furious kind of thing you have a spy thriller story that immediately builds i mean every good spy thriller has multiple car chases right it's a given it's a given so, you know, you immediately set yourself up for that kind of action, or you've got somebody who is on the run constantly, and they're constantly changing cars, you know, and they're using this. This is the thing that lets them do what they need to do, and of course, it's incredibly valuable to all sorts of people. 
Well, and and really, it's not even that far fetched, you know, based on the way things are now. Because, you know, it wasn't that long ago that they just had these these hackers come out and say, by the way, we can stop your car based on the computer in it. We can stop it oh, dead sure. in its tracks. Yeah, I was reading this a couple of weeks ago. Um, some, And this is getting actually one of the things that I was going to talk about. Some uh, Somebody who has a remote back door into the car, which basically a remote skeleton key for various different kinds of cars. There was a news article where hackers confirmed that they could shut off a Jeep remotely while it was driving and control the brakes, all of the other functions, and even steering, as long as it was in reverse, interestingly enough, through a vulnerability in the smartphone-controlled entertainment system in the car. And, that, of course, they could track it through its integrated GPS. And it's, you know, it's kind of a scary thing because it's a real thing, it's such a perfect cyberpunk skeleton key, right? Oh, yeah. I can control everybody on the road and they don't know about it and they don't know what's going to go on. How to do that is an incredibly important secret. Well, and I love anytime you're dealing with cyberpunk and, and hacking at any kind of level. Now, obviously hacking in storytelling has been infamously bad. Uh, the other right. day, I was... well, and that's because two weeks of staring at a computer while it crunches, you know, MD5 hashes is not good storytelling. Right. I, I was just talking about uh, it was on Twitter the other day talking about the movie Hackers and hacking the Gibson was it's it's amazing. If you've never seen that movie, you go see that. You'll see how storytelling hacking looks like. Uh, I love that. But then you, you have this moment of these people that are are. You find the key. You stumble on the back door. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, these guys who have these absolutely nefarious uh, ideals about what they could do if they had that back door, suddenly, you know, your character who who just happened upon this thing becomes a target because they know the key. Yeah. And more specifically, there are lots of people who want it. Oh, yeah. All right, so you had another one. I did. I like this one a lot. And it, it's kind of, again, branching off of the, the physical active key. I had this moment, this story about finding a hermit. And obviously, just in and of itself, this guy is in and of itself kind of a MacGuffin that can drive story. Because... Yeah, possibly. Depends on how you frame the story. Exactly. You know, if you started at the door of the hermit's house, yeah, fine. If you start it way back at the bottom of the mountain, yeah, he's probably the MacGuffin. Right, exactly. But that aside, I love this idea of when you, you get to him, he give because in my mind, in storytelling that I like anyway, I mean, I've, there's plenty of storytelling that involves the mystical hermit up in the mountains. The ones that I like are the ones where the hermit doesn't straight up give whatever they're looking for. I'm pretty sure that's against Union Rose. <laughs> Hermit local number 175 is no longer, does not support this sort of behavior. Exactly. I I like the ones where you find this person and they send you or they give you the thing that you need. And so the idea, I love the idea of finding this hermit and he, he basically looks at you and says, I can give you one of my keys. Now, the variations of this are numerous. They can actually be physical keys. They can be more metaphysical kind of stuff. But I like the idea of that it unlocks something about the person. 
Right. Almost like almost like a Wizard of Oz kind of, I'm going to reach into my bag and pull out, you know, you had the courage all along. Like, that kind of thing. And I had mm-hmm. I had several, just I threw out the top of my head. I mean, obviously, in your own storytelling, you can make these whatever you want. But kind of going on classic archetypes here, I had the idea of the key of the mind, the key of the body, the key of the spirit, the key of light, and the key of darkness. You know, uh, if you want to get a little more psychological in a very clinical sense, id ego, super ego. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it, there's too many possibilities, really. You can this, break them down but, however your story, however it fits your story. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's the choice that is, that is important. Maybe he doesn't really tell you. He just hands you a key and you go, OK, what's this all about? And he says, yeah, hey, you'll find out. You know, I'm I'm over my hours, <laughs> you know, wh- whatever. Um, there's all sorts of ways you can, you can have that play out. But again, it's the, here's a key that is less about what it opens and more about what it reveals about me. Right. It's a good, I think that's particularly well suited for short fiction. Um, you know, because it's all about the protagonist or at least the viewpoint character in the story. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's particularly well suited to that. All right. Um, I've got another one, and this is going <laughs> way the other direction, away from, you know, isolated hermits to the center of an urban area. You know how mayors give out the key to the city? Yeah, I do. Like, the big, you know, brass-looking key. It's probably just, you know, composite with a brass overlay or, you uh, know, trophy plastic these days. I don't know what I always love the stories that said, huh, it's chocolate. <laughs> right, Yeah. You know, but that big key to the city, at least you still see it in cartoons and like, you know, old timey TV shows, that that idea. We all kind of know what we're talking about. You know, the mayor, I present to you the key of the city for your heroic deed or your great service to our community. That idea. What if you had a skeleton key for cities? What would that do? I have to assume that it is a big brass clad key because nothing else works nothing else makes any sense i mean this is almost unknown army's level of symbolism here but if you have a skeleton key for a city does it mean that you have then automatically done something good for that city does it mean everybody kind of thinks of you that way does it give you access to parts of the city that other people should have instead what does it do I, I'm automatically, I mean, granted, we can, again, these are able to be used in any kind of story, but for me, as soon as you got done saying that, you know, maybe it's the fact that you and I both have these discussions about Shadowrun, but I have this automatic thought of the ability to literally walk into anything in a Shadowrun kind of setting, a cyberpunk kind of mm-hmm. magical setting, this, this idea of, I own this town. Right. And I like the idea that it is somehow symbolic right it's kind of a postmodern symbolic magic that says i have this key to the city therefore i am important to this city and everyone in it i do not necessarily have power over them but i am important and if you've got a key that just kind of gives you that no matter what the city is well now we're talking yeah no i i love it um another idea i had and this is getting uh, a little further away from the idea of a skeleton key it, in the sense that it opens everything and more of the skeleton key as in a key just made of bone, right? Or a key ring with multiple bone 
keys on it. And I mentioned that because bone is not well suited for keys. Not even kind of. It is, it is well suited for strong, sturdy poles and halves. That's why we use bone in our bodies. But it does not do well rubbing up against things constantly, like, say, a key in a lock that's constantly being turned. So it's probably symbolic, or it's made for something that isn't opened very often. Right? Mm-hmm. So, what's well-suited for that? Some, you know, like a treasure chest, something like that? Okay, fine, but what's more interesting than that? A dungeon. The person who's made the key doesn't want to open that dungeon very often. Well, who goes into the dungeon? Uh, let's say political prisoners. So, you've got a key ring with these very ornate bone keys, and those are the keys that open the dungeon. Well, who's in the dungeon, and why... Is it the key ring that's important and not the people in the dungeon that's important? Maybe it's that you've got multiple multiple people who multiple parties who each want to release someone different from that dungeon or make sure that nobody gets released from that dungeon. Maybe they want to get there before the prisoner talks or before the prisoner is ransomed, before they outlive their usefulness, so on and so forth. There's all sorts of possibilities you can take with that. But the idea that the key, and this kind of gets to the skeleton thing, because how often have we seen the the classic, you know, horror dungeon skeleton and manacles hanging from the wall kind of thing, right? The only time that I've seen that done in a unique kind of way is is in uh, The Last Unicorn, where this skeleton on top of the clock is alive suddenly, but only at a certain time of night. That's the only time I've seen it done uniquely. Everything else is just, well, there it is. Sure. But if you're telling a story, it's a good little motif to hang storytelling and flavor Absolutely. Be- you know, because it's a skeleton key for a dungeon with skeletons. I get it. <laughs> okay, no, seriously, I get it. You can stop. Right, I get you. Um, but yeah, run with it in that direction, maybe. You've got another one? Go ahead. I do have another one. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited about this one because... I think that it, it really is malleable to fit the stories that anybody might come up with. Uh, it's the idea of a person as the key. It, it's different in my head depending on what setting you put it in. Say it's in a fantasy setting. It's literally a person who has the ability to unlock these magic doors where just by simply being around them. They, they exude the power to unlock mm. them. Uh, any door or certain kinds of doors, planar portals, you name it, they can open some passage. Right. Something is opened because this person is standing there. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Uh, in a cyberpunk setting, you have the idea of literally they have the codes to all things. They can physically hack in to anything and break it. Maybe in a, in a strict modern kind of setting, it's just a person with a specific... You know, not to, to quote Liam Neeson from Taken, is a, a certain set of skills that makes them perfect for lockpicking. The ability that, I mean, you know, I, you've seen a lot of... The safecracker is mm-hmm. a wonderful, classic character. Heist movies have the safecracker. Spy thrillers have have that guy, that, that the guy who's been able to, to crack anything and, and to open any door. Uh mm-hmm. I even have this idea of kind of something that you'd even plug in, going back to the cyberpunk, you plug in some kind of protocol, and that literally allows you to crack open anything. 
Yeah. They're kind of a, a multi-pass kind of thing. Right. Where you leave it in there and you're waiting for it to crack the door. Yeah. The reason I like this one is because of the fact that, and, and I'm sure that across more MacGuffins and more themes will bring this up, when your MacGuffin is a person who has an, their own personality, their own drive, that they are a sentient being, at some point or another, you are going to come face to face with the fact that you probably are going to treat them like an object. You are the thing I need to accomplish what I'm doing. Right. Or if not you, someone else is. Yeah, exactly. Right? Someone Whether... is trying to get you. Somebody is, yeah. you know, my job is to get you out of here. I don't care if, if you're dead. You need to get out of here. Like, you right. have that moment of person seen as object and that just breeds all sort of great conflict, all sorts of interesting character yeah. development. I love exactly. that idea of person as MacGuffin. Yeah, because the conflict may be internal within the protagonist, or it may be external, where the antagonist is treating them like a uh, an object, something to use, and the protagonist is trying to defend them, or vice versa, if you're, you know, really trying to get both of those in and get the protagonist to go oh wait i've grown as a character as protagonist should now i get it yep and my last one is sort of similar but it's less a person and more of a title perhaps you know i'm not just talking about rank here because there, we always have the classic you know uh i'm going to impersonate the officer and demand that the cell door be opened or i'm gonna you know force this guy to get us through the, you know, the heavily secured checkpoint, that sort of thing, right? And he gets through by virtue of his rank. But I'm talking more specifically about a specific authority or privilege which lets someone command any door be opened for them. Uh, maybe this is a sort of medieval fantasy kind of thing where you've got someone who has the right to go anywhere in the palace, Right? Or anywhere in the kingdom. It's it's a low-level position. He's not the chancellor. He can't do anything, but he can go anywhere. It's, you know, one of those strange medieval honors that are awarded every now and then. To briefly tangent, there are a lot of weird medieval honors, like after one of the battles that Edward III fought, I can't remember which one. It was a naval battle, sort of. Um, the French didn't do a good job of fighting as a naval force. Um, and the English longbowmen did a number on him. But there was a, a good example of a man knighted on the field. History does not record for what. And his honor, uh, there was an extra honor bestowed on him where a meal was set aside for him at the Tower of London every night. And, you know, the guards of the tower were supposed to leave it out for him. And then if he never showed the meal was to be given to the first poor person who asked for it. And that was continued for hundreds of years, obviously long after this guy had died, and stopped with the Reformation. So, weird honors are totally a thing that are great MacGuffins in and of themselves, or at least great flavor. So, let's say you've got an honor like that, that is, hey, you get to go anywhere. Maybe it's a, a title... Maybe it's a one-day privilege. Hey, you know, the peasant at the festival who finds the key in his meat pie. He gets the right to go anywhere in the Imperial Palace for one day 
this year. Cool. Okay. Most people use that to do simple things and enjoy themselves, right? Hardworking peasants go, great, I'm going to go, you know, into the palace and, you know, sit in the king's hall where I would never get to sit and go into the kitchens and, you know, look at all the food and snack a bit. And of course, you know, everybody goes, oh, hey, it's the peasant who got the silver key. Here's a, a nice meal served for you. Look, this is how we live in the palace. Isn't it wonderful? You know, uh, I'm going to go into the baths and, you know, take a bath, that sort of thing. Live it up. But maybe somebody clever says, wait a second. Here's a guy who gets to go anywhere into the palace. Anywhere. Next, tomorrow. How can we use him? A, li a little manipulation there can go a long way. Right. Or maybe the whole goal of the story, let's say it's a, a role-playing game, the whole adventure is all about being that person through hook or crook who gets the right to go anywhere in the palace. They don't have rights to do anything else, right? They can't release prisoners, they can't sign papers, they can't sit on the king's throne, but they can go anywhere, probably under guard. That's another obstacle. But the right to just say, open this door for me, I'm going through, is pretty important. And you've got a time limit. One day, maybe till sundown, maybe till sun up the next morning. But you've got a lot of the pieces already in that one package. And if you've got multiple people vying for it, or multiple people putting pressure on the peasant, the poor peasant who gets that honor, well, who's to say that the peasant doesn't have his own agenda? And I... I, I... Love the idea of when you can open any door, it's literally the get-out-of-jail-free card. Because what says that that door is to get into something? Mm-hmm. Suddenly that door becomes a way to get out of something. Especially some kind of problem. All right, that's all I've got. Mike, you got any more? I don't really have another one, but I do want to give kind of an honorable mention, because the, the more we started talking about this, especially towards the end when we started talking more about people... I, I couldn't help but, in the back of my head, remember uh, my first real story that I that introduced me to the worlds of Neil Gaiman, uh, which huh? was Neverwhere. And if you've never read Neverwhere, uh, it's a really awesome story about what was referred to as Lo go read Neverwhere. Go, go That's read Neverwhere. Basically, our advice. But uh, um, the story of London below yeah. this unseen part of the city of London, and. That one of the main characters is a woman named Dor. And it's really funny because at, you first hear these names and before you're really aware of what this family is about, you start noticing that all the names of this family are all names for doors, like passageways. Like her father's name is Portico. And what you find out through the course of the story is that their family has the ability to open any door. Their house does not exist in one place. It is spread out. Each room is in a different location. And they're able to open up a door from anywhere to anywhere. In fact, one of the, the best ways, like, towards, throughout the story, is that sh she can actually draw with chalk a door on a brick wall and open a door. Uh, if we're doing honorable mentions in fiction we've already read, I've got to give a big shout out to Dan Simmons' Hyperion mm. with its Farcasters, yes. uh, which are basically these panels that are portals, if you will. I mean, it is straight up magic portal in sci-fi 
because it kind of cuts through the universe and opens up to another dedicated or not dedicated Farcaster portal on the other side. And at the same time, it's pretty much the same plane because Farcasters. <laughs> and so, you know, it is literally walk up, put in your code, your destination code, maybe, you know, essentially swipe your ticket and it opens up and you walk through uh, to the point where people have houses that are much like and Neverwhere built on multiple worlds. And you have dedicated Farcasters set up between the rooms. So you walk, you know, from your water planet and its lovely living room view, you know, looking out over the ocean, back into your study set high up on a volcanic mountain. You know, that that fun, every room is on a different planet kind of idea is just, it's really cool. And it's, it's science fantasy. In a sense, it's sci-fi taken so far that it is indistinguishable from magic in the best way possible. So Dan Simmons, Hyperion, fantastic book, by the way. You will hear me plug Hyperion over and over on this series. It is probably my favorite piece of science fiction ever written, and you really should read it. All right, that's it from me. Mike, what else you got? I, I'm, I'm good, man. We have thrown out a okay. bunch of different ideas and I really hope that, that you guys that are listening are going to be either, either able to take directly what we've said, or maybe something we've said has inspired your own thought and something that you've come up with. And, man, I hope to hear about all the stories that come out of this podcast. Absolutely. So, real quick, if you want to tweet the show, do that at inroads, I-N-N roads, on Twitter. Uh, you can also hit us up at, at saving the game, but, eh, you know. This is Mike's show. I'm just here as a guest. <laughs> no, seriously, if I'm not editing, it's not my there show. You go. Um, yeah. Plus, you know, it's going out under Inroads Ministries, which you can find at inroadsministries.com. So, from those of us here at Inroads Ministries, wow, that's weird to say. It's fun, right? It just rolls off the top. Yeah, it's pretty good. Have a good one. We'll catch you next time. Put your suggestions for MacGuffins and your own inspired skeleton key ideas put those in the comments or tweet them at us or share them out on facebook and twitter and everywhere else and tell everybody about the show we love it tell good stories guys the mcguffin factory is produced by inroads ministries under a creative commons share alike non-commercial license find more mcguffin factory episodes and other great podcasts and articles on the web at inroadsministries.com our intro and outro music is wyvern by ray rude used under license and available at freemusicarchive.org. Find more of Ray Rude's music at needledrop.co. And remember, no matter the setting, no matter the medium, we all tell our stories together. So make them worth the telling.